Father, we love you. We need you. Many of us come here this morning broken, hurting, suffering. We come before you and we ask for your help. We pray, oh God, that you wash us or we die. We also pray, oh God, that you speak to us through the preaching of your word. And I pray, God, that you help us to trust and get a glimpse of your steadfast love that is truly better than life. Be with us now and speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we will be in Psalm 13, uh, so please take your copy of God's Word and turn there with me. This psalm is an amazing little psalm. It gives us a God-inspired glimpse at how we can respond to suffering. In this psalm, we see King David crying out to the Lord in the midst of a season of deep distress and suffering. And we get to see him here honestly and openly share his feelings with the Lord. And this will also give us a guide for how we can respond to suffering. As we see this psalm move from David telling the Lord how he feels to David asking the Lord for help, and then finally we see David trusting the steadfast love of the Lord. So let's look at this. Keep that in mind as we look at this psalm together. Psalm 13. <clears throat> to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O oh Lord? This is going to be a rough morning. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. In some way, shape, or form, suffering is something that we will all have to go through. This last week, I was in the doctor's office and I received some tough news. It's probably not as bad as I'm making it out to be, but the parasite that I picked up in Uganda about eight years ago, and I've been fighting hard against for a long time. I was hoping that it was gone but it's still there. 
And on top of that, the doctor found another parasite in my body. And after eight years of destruction on my body, my body is no longer functioning as it should. And what I mean by that is my body isn't taking in the nutrients that it's receiving. And it's been leaving me desperately exhausted. Even this morning, I was at points where I could barely stand up. And on top of that, I almost, I'm not dying or anything, I promise, but eight years is a long time. On top of that, I almost broke down and cried in the doctor's office because of these feelings of overwhelming discouragement and just this feeling of being defeated. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of feeling like I'm missing out on life as I'm I feel like I'm functioning at 50% of a normal person trying to live 100% in the real world. And I just can't keep up. This is the suffering that I'm currently going through. What suffering are you going through? If you're not currently suffering, I'm really grateful for you. But I'm sad to say that if you live in this fallen planet long enough, you will go through suffering in some way, shape, or form. Therefore, it's important that we know how to respond to our suffering. The consequences of not responding well to suffering can be devastating. You will end up building walls around your heart trying to protect yourself. But instead of protecting yourself, it will lead to a hardening of your heart towards life and it will hold you back from fully enjoying the full range of life and the full range of emotions that God has given us. Joys will become less joyful. Sadness will become less sad. But even more importantly, if you don't deal with suffering properly, you will become completely self-absorbed and self-obsessed. And what I mean by that is the only thing that matters in your life is your pain and your problem and yourself. And when you're self-absorbed in your suffering, there is not only no help, but there is no hope. It will only lead you to feeling lonely and abandoned. It will lead you into never-ending spirals of anxiety and sorrow that you can never get out of. And I've been there, and it's terrible. The consequences of not responding well to suffering can be devastating. So what do you do when you're hit with the train of suffering? How should we respond to suffering? I believe that this psalm gives us three ways that we can respond well to suffering, and these are my three points this morning. And this outline is inspired by an article by Christina Fox, so I have to give her credit. But first... Tell the Lord how you feel, verses 1 to 2. Second, ask for the Lord's help, verses 3 through 4. And third, trust the Lord's steadfast love, verses 5 and 6. And if you need a helpful acronym for that, how should we respond to suffering? You can respond by tatting it up. Tat, tell, ask, trust. I hope that's cheesy enough to remember. (laughs) So first, tell the Lord how you feel. 
King David begins in verse 1. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, we don't know the specific reason that David is suffering. We don't know if he's struggling with an illness or if he's struggling with losing battles against his enemies. But whatever he's struggling from and suffering with, we can take note of how he's sharing his feelings with God. How long will he feel forgotten by God? The word forget is in verse 1 is a very important word, and it's connected to the covenant promises, and it's the opposite of remember. Throughout the Old Testament, God remembers his covenant promises for his people, and because he remembers them, he acts to save his people. In this case, David is saying that the Lord has forgotten his covenant promises to him. In other words, David is feeling abandoned and forsaken by God. On top of that, David asks, how long will you hide your face from me? Hiding, God hiding his face is the opposite of being blessed. One of the greatest blessings in scripture is when God makes his face to shine upon you. And so what David is saying is that he's feeling cursed. And so here we see David telling his feelings to the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord in desperation. He's been experiencing this pain for a long time, and he, will, he wants to know how long he will have to endure this suffering. How long will he have to feel abandoned by God? How long will he have to feel cursed by God? How long, O oh Lord? Do you ever feel abandoned or cursed by God? Tell him how you feel. Have you ever told the Lord the depths of all that you're feeling? And I mean more than just thinking about it or more than just a half-hearted, God, this hurts. I mean, going down to your knees and crying out to him, sharing the depths of your pain with him in all honesty and vulnerability. You can tell the Lord how you feel. You can tell him, oh God, how long will I feel abandoned by you? Oh Lord, how long will I have to feel the bitterness of loneliness? How long will I have to feel the curse of barrenness? How long will I have to feel the pain of singleness? How long will I have to feel the anguish of not having any friends? How long will I have to feel the experience and heartache of broken relationships? How long will I have to wait until you answer my prayers? Oh God, the pain of loneliness, it hurts. I feel like you've left me all alone. How long, oh Lord? You can tell the Lord when you're feeling abandoned and cursed by him. And you can go into more detail than that. I'm just trying to share it. <clears throat> King David continues to tell God how he's feeling in verse 2. He says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David is taking counsel in his soul, which Willem van Gemmeren helped me to understand means He's wrestling with his thoughts, and it carries the idea of anxiety or worry. David is saying something like, my only counselor is myself. I feel abandoned by God and all of my closest friends. I have no other input in my suffering, and so I spiral out of control in my anxiety. 
An example of this would be me in the doctor's office this moment, or this week, in the moment where I'm hearing how sick I am and I'm just spiraling out of control, that I'm really sick and I can't live this life anymore, that I need to quit my job and then we probably need to move. And it's just this spiral. That's what David is feeling here. He's spiraling out of control in the worst case scenario. And this spiral is leaving him with overwhelming feelings of sorrow and agony and grief. He's deeply hurting and he's telling God about his pain. David is crying out to God and he's essentially saying, how long must I dwell in my uncontrollable spiral of anxiety? How long must I carry this sorrow in my heart? Do you ever feel an uncontrollable spiral of anxiety? Do you ever have continual feelings of sorrow? Tell God how you feel. You can tell him. You can say, oh Lord, how long will I have to struggle with my out-of-control anxiety? How long will I be stuck on the worst-case scenario? How long will worry overtake me? How long will I have to struggle with the thoughts of suicide? Oh Lord, how long will I have to deal with the sorrow in this life? How long will I have to feel the pain of a miscarriage? How long will I have to feel the sting of the death of someone that I love? Oh God, the sorrow in this life is overwhelming. I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I don't know what to do. How long, oh Lord? You can tell the Lord about your anxiety and your sorrow. King David continues telling the Lord how he feels at the end of verse 2. He says, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It's not entirely clear who the enemy is here, but I agree with one commentator who says that the enemy is a broad array of things, including illness, death, suffering, depression, the presence of evil in this world, and perhaps the people who he's actually literally fighting against. David is feeling defeated by his enemies. He could be feeling overtaken by illness and the thoughts of death. He could be overtaken by depression in the presence of evil in this world and the people who are against him. And he's crying out to God, wondering how long he will feel beaten down by all of these enemies. Do you ever feel beaten down by any of those enemies? Tell God how you feel. You can cry out to God. You can tell him, Oh God, how long will I be beaten down by chronic illness? Oh Lord, how long will I have to suffer through my physical pain? How long will I have to be overtaken by difficult circumstances? How long will I be defeated by toiling in this world? How long will I be pressed down by the pain of depression? How long will I have to struggle with this challenging addiction? How long will the enemy, Satan, battle against me? Oh God, I can no longer take the pressure that these enemies are putting on me. I can no longer handle it. I am defeated and I am beat down. How long, oh Lord? You can tell the Lord how you're feeling about the enemies of this life. You can tell the Lord how you're feeling about anything and everything. 
So how should we respond to suffering? First, we tell the Lord how we're feeling. And then second, we ask for his help. So the second point this morning is we ask for the Lord's help. <coughs> David has told the Lord how he's feeling, and the next thing he does is ask for the Lord's help. He says in verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. The word for consider carries the idea of looking and seeing. And so David is essentially saying, O Lord, look at me and see my affliction. I'm drowning here. I'm struggling and I'm in over my head. It feels like you've hid your face from me. Stop hiding, God. Look and see what I'm going through. And Lord, please don't just look and see. Answer. Respond to my suffering. Help me, oh Lord, my God. And I love how David personalizes God here. To David, the Lord is not just God, generically. To David, the Lord is my God. He is mine, and I am his. We belong to one another. And this is the heart of God's covenantal promises and is the heart of God's steadfast love. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. But out of a personal relationship with God, David continues, and he says, Lord, light up my eyes. Now, this phrase is a Hebrew idiom that expresses the result of God's grace. In other words, if David was truly saved from his deep internal anguish and suffering, you will be able to see that he is doing better just by looking in his eyes. To quote Van Gemeren, David's eyes would sparkle with God's grace. That's what is meant by light up my eyes. But David is asking God to help him. He's asking God to deliver him from the depths of the despair that he is in. He's asking God to save him from his overwhelming anguish of heart and soul. And so he continues in verse, the rest of verse 3 and 4. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David is saying, Oh Lord, help me and save me unless I die. Lord, if you do not save me, I will not make it any longer. Lord, if you don't save me, my enemies will overcome me and I will fall. Lord, if you don't save me, I will drown in the depth of my depression and despair. David recognizes his desperate need of God in the midst of his suffering. He cannot save himself, and he needs God to save him. We also need to recognize our desperate need for God in our suffering. It could be that the main reason that you are suffering is so that you would realize your desperate dependence on God. I can't say it any better than the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, where he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You hear what Paul is saying? He's saying, We were so utterly burdened. We were suffering, and we despaired of life itself. And he's saying, God was taking us 
through that so that we would no longer rely on our weak selves, but that we would rely on the all-powerful God who raises the dead. God has us go through suffering to show that we are not in control. He has us go through suffering so that we will not rely on ourselves, but so that we would rely on the all-powerful, almighty God who can raise the dead. In one way that we rely on God is by asking for his help. Now, culturally, we don't like to ask for help because it's perceived as weakness. But the reality is that our perceived weakness is real weakness. We are weak, and we are desperately dependent on God for all things. And especially in our suffering, we urgently need God. We can cry out with King David. We can say, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Look at my helplessness and my suffering. See me, O my God, and hear my cries to you. Save me, or I will not make it. Deliver me, or I will drown in my anguish. Heal me, or I will break down. Strengthen me, or I will not make it through the day. Wash me, Savior, or I will die. Help me, O Lord, my God. Ask for God's help in your suffering because you desperately need him. So how should we respond to suffering? First, tell the Lord how you feel. Second, ask for God's help. And third, trust in the Lord's steadfast love. So how should we respond to suffering? We tat it up. We tell, ask, and we trust. So third, we trust the Lord's steadfast love. King David has told the Lord how, he's, how he feels. He's asked for the Lord help, Lord's help, and he continues in verse 5 by saying, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Wait a minute, what? David is on the brink of disaster and death. He's suffering with out-of-control anxiety. He's filled with sorrow continually. He feels like the Lord has completely abandoned him. How can David trust in the Lord in the midst of these circumstances? How can we trust in the Lord in the midst of our suffering? This is a good question. And this is where we must understand that the most important thing in our suffering is not healing or a change of circumstance. The most important thing in our suffering is our view of God. To borrow an illustration from C.S. Lewis, is God a benevolent Santa Claus type figure or is he a physician? Does he just want to make us happy and give us all the things that we want? Or is he in the business of making us feel better? Is he in the business of healing us from our greatest disease? Sometimes it hurts to get better. An example would be a doctor taking out a piece of shrapnel. It's gonna hurt, but it has to be removed for you to heal. My friends, God does not revolve around us. 
He is not there to give us everything that we think we want at the exact moment that we think we want it. He is the great sovereign physician working all things together for our good, even our pain and our suffering. And we can trust in the steadfast love of our great physician no matter what we're going through. The steadfast love of the Lord is his steadfast faithfulness to all of his covenant promises. God is faithful to all of his covenant promises through Jesus Christ. You can think about it like this. You can think of this psalm as being uttered through the lips of Jesus. Jesus, who the night before he was hung on the cross, was overwhelmed with agony to the point where he was sweating great drops of blood. And if you're not sure what that means, that means that he was under so much stress that the blood vessels near his sweat glands ruptured and he was literally sweating drops of blood. In his agony, Jesus asked God to take this cup of suffering away from him. In essence, Jesus was saying to the Father, consider and answer me, O God, lest light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies prevail over me. But then Jesus trusted the Father as he said, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so trusting the Father, Jesus went to the cross. And then on the cross, the Father hid his face from Jesus. Jesus was cursed, literally cursed by God. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the Son of God, was forsaken and abandoned by God the Father as he bore the wrath of our sins. Jesus went through the worst suffering in the history of the world because of his faithfulness to God's steadfast love. Jesus was hidden from God so that God can shine the light of his face upon us. Jesus was forgotten by God so that we will be remembered by God. Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to. Jesus destroyed all of his and our enemies. And Jesus has secured all the promises of God. This means that through God's steadfast love, we have a Savior who can sympathize with our weaknesses and we can confidently approach his throne asking for his help in our time of need. This means that God hears all of our cries to him. It means that he sees all of our suffering and he will answer according to what is best for us. It means that God is working all things together for our good, even our suffering. It means that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It means that the love that God has for you surpasses knowledge. It means that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even pain or suffering or stress or anxiety or grief or loneliness or abandonment or chronic illness or broken relationships or depression or job loss or anything else in the history of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is our God and we are his people. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. We can cast 
all of our anxieties on the Lord because he cares for us. Paul Tripp says it like this. God has not promised me a comfortable life. God has promised me himself. This is the very heart of God's steadfast love. This means that God may not deliver us through the storm or from the storm, but he will see us through it. This means that the person dying from cancer may wake up in heaven. This means that God may not heal you from your chronic illness, but he will be with you through the struggle. This means that God may not give you financial wealth, but that you are spiritually rich in Christ. This means that God may not deliver you from broken relationships, but that he will be your friend through it all. This means that we can tell God how we feel and he will hear us. This means that we can ask him to help us and he will answer according to what is best. This means that we can trust him because we have a God who is abounding in steadfast love. Oh, this is good news for the weary soul. But even when we know these truths, it can be easy for our suffering to change our focus from God to ourselves. I don't think I've used this illustration here before. One day, when I was in Uganda, it was raining extremely hard, and we were stuck under a shelter. And in Uganda, you can get an inch of rain in 10 minutes, so it's raining really hard. We're stuck under a shelter, we're running late, and we had to cross Lake Victoria to get to an appointment. And so I was only one, one of the ones who had a rain jacket, and so I was trying to help, and I offered to bring some bags down to the boat just to help us get going. And so I went down, got to the boat, the boat had a tarp over it, brought the bags there, everything was fine. But the way back was uphill, and it was raining so hard that the mud became like a little river. And at that time, I was wearing my nice khaki pants with my nice shoes, and I didn't want to get them dirty because I had to wash them by hand. And so I was keeping my focus down, and I was just hopping from one dry spot to the another. And as I was getting closer to the shelter, I was just preparing myself mentally to grab the next load of bags. And I was just hopping up, and all of a sudden, boom! I nailed a horizontal wooden beam that was holding up the shelter, and I hit it so hard that it knocked the feet right out from underneath me, and I landed flat on my back. So much for keeping my clothes clean. But we found out later that I was only a few inches away from a huge bolt that was sticking out that had the potential to kill me. I was so focused on looking down that it almost killed me. Isn't this what our suffering does to us? It causes us to change our focus from God to ourselves. It causes us to continually look down, only focusing on ourselves and our pain. And we become completely self-absorbed and completely self-obsessed when all we have to do is look up and see that we have a Savior who is abounding in steadfast love. 
All that we have to do is look up and see that we have a God who is with us in our suffering. All we have to do is look up and see that we have a God whose power is perfected in our weakness. All we have to do is look up and see that we have a God whose grace is sufficient for us. And when we're looking up and focusing on Christ, instead of being self-absorbed, we become Christ-absorbed. Now, how do we look up? We look up by tatting it up. We tell the Lord how we feel. We ask for his help. And we trust in his steadfast love. And when we're focused on Christ, we can truly sing and rejoice. It doesn't minimize our suffering. It's real. But we can sing and rejoice because we're focusing on the one thing that matters. And that's how David concludes this psalm. He concludes by singing and rejoicing. And specifically, in a future salvation. And we can also rejoice in a future salvation where there will be no more pain or suffering. There will be no more agony or grief. No more stress or anxiety. No more loneliness or abandonment. No more toil or spiritual warfare. No more sickness or death. By faith in Christ, one day we will be delivered away from all of these things and we will be delivered to the immediate face-to-face presence of God where there will be nothing but joy for the rest of eternity. Oh, my friends, if you trust in the steadfast love of the Lord, you can truly believe that your suffering is temporary, but God's steadfast love and his promises are forever. You can truly believe that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I love the way that Wendell Kimbrough says it in his song. He says, Every year we thought was wasted. Every night we've cried how long will be a passing moment in our Savior's victory song. How many years does it feel like we've wasted on suffering? How many nights have we cried out, how long? All of that will be just a passing moment in the scope of the celebrating the victory of eternity in Christ Jesus. This is the beautiful future salvation that we have to look forward to. But as we wait, we will suffer. And how should we respond to suffering? Every single time that you're struggling, this could be daily. Every single time that you're struggling, you can tat it up. You can tell the Lord how you feel. You can ask for his help, and you can trust in his steadfast love. And we can truly trust him because he is a God abounding in steadfast love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Oh God, we love you. We desperately need you. We praise you that you are God abounding in steadfast love. And Father, because you are abounding in steadfast love, we say thank you for our suffering, for we know that it is not in vain. 
we also know that it's not the whole picture. We can believe that you are with us in our suffering. And I pray that you do help us believe. Help us, oh Father, to tell our feelings to you. Help us to be honest and open. Help us to ask for your help, knowing that you will help us according to your sovereignty. And Lord, I pray that you help us to trust in your steadfast love. We thank you and we love you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.